Father's Day to all you dads out there, all you dads-to-be. Happy Father's Day. Uh, had a, I had a fail this morning. Uh, I was supposed to wear socks that were given to me, and I did not wear them. So uh, if you see my girls and they're not talking to me, that's what's happening. A uh, little upset, a little upset with me this morning. I know, just right off the bat, failing. A uh, couple announcements. What was I supposed to do? Pray for the students. You want me to pray for the students right now? All right, we're going to pray for the students. If y'all don't know... Um, we have a camp going on in Colorado. I think they got there yesterday. I had a little bit of van trouble, but I think they made it. Uh, and then we're going to have a communion later uh, after sermon. So if you want to go ahead and grab you a snack pack before we get started. Uh, if not, I think somebody will be walking around with them later. But yeah, let's pray real quick uh, just for the, the students. A uh, big week there in Colorado. Uh, you know, a lot can change in, in the trajectory of lives and that kind of stuff. So let's pray real quick. Father God, thank you so much, Lord. Uh, thank you for calling us your kids. Thank you, Lord, that you're stronger than anything that we face. Uh, thank you, Lord, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Lord, that we can stand before you 
pure and holy. And for these kids that are going to this camp, uh, some of these teenagers, I ask the Lord that you would just make that real in their lives this week. Um, God, no matter what they're facing, I honestly can't imagine being a kid these days and everything that happens and all the access they have to media and everything and just the struggles it must, it must be for being a teenager right now. I just ask God that this week, Lord, that you would just kind of submit in their hearts and their heads who they are. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter who says what. God, I ask that you would just help them to, just help them to know. And those that don't know you, I ask God that you would just make this week the, the week that they, they come to know you and are just kind of overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy and your offer for forgiveness. Uh, we ask well, that you just be with them as they're having fun, as they're doing what they're doing, and then, uh, of course, as they, uh, as they drive back later this week. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Uh, if you're in the room, if you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. You do not have to, but uh, you can if you'd like. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has redeemed us. From death into life now we walk in His freedom. We are the children of God. No condemnation. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life has redeemed us.
time, we'd like to invite everyone to stand, if you are able, as we read our scripture. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. All it takes is a moment All it takes is a word To bring light to the dark And give life to this heart You are hope, you are peace to my soul you're the one who sustains me. You're the voice speaking truth. I could search all the earth to find something of worth, but all that I need is in you. Captivated, my heart's awakened. You are my delight, overtaken by your amazing love. I can't deny. Where you are, there is me. 
when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll with my 
say thank you. God, that Gentlemen. we can stand here. Oh, Gentlemen. Never mind. <laughs> Welcome to another dad battle. Now is anybody, and I mean anybody at all, willing to face our champion? Gentlemen, my son joined the golf team at school, so I bought him an extra pair of socks in case he gets a hole in one. Hole in one. His dad jokes are so effortless. See that? That's why he's the champ. That's nothing. The other day, my daughter said a good Christian dad would buy her a car. So I said, well, a good Christian kid would walk. Because that's what Jesus did. Fathers! Listen up, son. Just because God picked your nose doesn't mean you should. <laughs> when you start paying the bills, you can make some of the rules. Come on! Yeah. Hold up! Who touched the thermostat? Yeah! That lawn isn't gonna mow itself. Let me stop what I'm doing and fix your boredom. Hi, Hungry. I'm Dad. I love the smell of Home Depot in the morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just wait till your mother gets home. Pull my finger. Nah. Just rub some dirt on it. <laughs> Proud of you. You can do hard things. I love you, no matter what. When God made you, He made something very special. Proudest day of my life is the day you made me a father. I thank God for you every time I get on my knees and pray. And again, who gives this woman? No, no, you look at me. You look at me. Who gives this woman? 
to be married to this man. Her mother and I don't know. <laughs> that one. Good morning and happy Father's Day, everybody. You know, um, somebody, uh, so there was a, I, probably a lot of you read it, but in the news this week, um, there was a survey done, I think it was by Gallup, and they found out that only 80% of Americans now believe in God. Um, and uh, it's, it's, apparently that's a devastating number, but it struck me that it would we would do a, go a long way towards uh, actually convincing the world that God exists and He's worthy of their life if we lived like it. Because I think the SBC alone has had some problems with that over the last 40 years. And uh, I, I know we don't like to talk about that. What are you saying this on Father's Day? I say that because God invented fathers and mothers. It's His idea. And uh, we live in a great country that celebrates family. And I know that Satan in our culture is transitioning into what a family is, but a family is still as God designed it, and the purpose of motherhood and fatherhood, especially fatherhood, is to model in my relationships with my children and now my grandkids, and you're right, it's way better as a grandparent, um, but it is to model God's love for them, uh, both in its harshness and in its graciousness, in integrity and honesty in discipleship and love and consistency. And uh, I just want to say, and I, I, you know, it's funny. I remember when I, when I first came to Carpenter's Way, it wasn't Mark Dubos, it was Mark Strong. He, it was the first Father's Day we were having in Mark Strong. And by the way, look, your whole clan is here. Hi, Jennifer. Jennifer's always been my favorite Dubos, and I, I, it's all right. But, uh, and you brought your husband. It's good to see you guys. You're traveling up the East Coast for the last month, right? Oh, yeah, I'm a stalker. Yeah. <laughs> But I remember Mark Strong said, uh, it's, our first, it's your first Father's Day. Are you going to tell us everything we're doing wrong? No, I'm not. That, it seems like that, you know, we were, Annie and I were laughing a little bit this morning. Uh, it seems like Mother's Day is a bigger day in this culture or whatnot. But I just want to remind you and us that we are the antidote to disbelief. And how we model God for our kids is such a big deal. And for those teenagers, unfortunately, the teens are gone this morning. There's about 40 of them in Colorado. But you know what, folks? It's not our job to be their friends. It's our job to disciple them in truth, God's truth. We protect them. We provide for them. And as I look around this room and I stood out there this morning and greeted you, I want you to know that you're doing a great job. You are. And it's the most important ministry you have. And... Uh, Thank you for modeling, as our, as our country and our world goes down into depravity, I want you to know that you are the antidote to that because the world is even scared of what's going on. So how do we minister in this culture? We live it out in our homes. So live it out in your homes. If your marriage is in trouble, work it out. Forgive, show grace, repent, love each other, love your kids, just discipline your kids, praise your kids, but above all else, walk with God. Walk with God. Uh, so happy Father's Day to the fathers. For single moms, hang in there. 
I'm watching my grandkids raise their kids. It's so hard to single parent. It's worth it. It's worth every ounce of energy. So thank you for doing that. All right. On to other announcements I need to make. We are going to have communion at the end of the service. So while I make some more announcements, if you did not get communion elements, and what we do here since COVID is we use and what Chad called the snack pack. Uh, it's got grape juice on one side, and it's got whatever on the other side. We really don't know what that is, but it's something. So if you did not get one and you would like to participate in communion with us and you have a relationship with God this morning, uh, Brad is in the back and you can just kind of look at him and he will provide these to you. Uh, John has some up here too. So just don't, and Robert has some over there. So don't, don't be shy. Um, for Carpenter's Way, for those of you who are visiting, go ahead and do that while I'm talking. So uh, Carpenter's Way is very mission-oriented not just in our community and in our culture and in, in here, but internationally. And we participate with the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board. Um, and we are privileged each year to add individuals. Not only do we send a large amount of money to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, but we also support individually in, individual missionaries. And we have had the privilege this last year of adding to our missionary family, a family that I don't even know, uh, but they serve in Kenya, Africa, and their name is Okios. Is that right? Okeo? And they're going to be with us Wednesday night. So I would encourage you, even if you're not used to coming on Wednesday night, this would be a great Wednesday night to meet this family. Because if you, if you give as part of your giving, a large percentage of that goes towards missions. And, and we don't do a special missions offering each year. We actually take a percentage of your giving and we tithe it back to the Lord by giving to international missions. So you are, if you are uh, participating in sacrificial giving through offerings, uh, you're already giving to this family. We want you to know them so you can pray for them. Uh, Wednesday night, there will be children's activities as normal, but it'll be right in here and we encourage you to come. Is there anything I'm missing that you want them to know, Chas? Okay, so they're going to have some stuff from Africa on the table out there that you can see. Anything else? Okay. Yeah, come. To, we, we want you to get to know them. We don't want you just to, to give and then, you know, we want you to get to know these people so you can pray for them because the world is getting a more dangerous place and you want to know these people. So we're very excited about that. This, so that's this Wednesday night at 6.30. Uh, also, uh, I want to remind you that as you're going through difficulty, and we all are, there are three ways you can be prayed for at Carpenter's Way. One is in your Bible study. Another, if you want it to be anonymous, there's a prayer wall back there. You can write on a little card. You don't have to put your name. You just stick it up there. And as you walk by, Christians, grab one off the wall and pray for that person. You don't even know their name, but pray for them. The third way is to let Dolores know, and we'll send it out to the whole church. Uh, prayer, uh, things that are going on, and if it's of an emergent nature, if somebody gets in a car accident or something, there is a prayer team with like 40 to 50 people on it that she texts day or night just to let you know how you can pray. This, this, uh, this is a family, and we got a lot of people on vacation this morning, but we're a relatively large family, comparatively speaking. So this is a way that we keep ministering to each other as well. And at the end of service today, Maddie, our little Maddie, little baby singing Maddie, is about to take her first step toward being a Marine. That, that, and you can clap for her, but I think she's nuts personally. But uh, after the service this morning, we're going to gather, after, after we're done up here, we're going to gather around here, and if you'd like to pray with us over her, we will. She leaves this afternoon for Dallas, and uh, then heads off to Paris Island in the next few days. And in how many weeks is boot camp? 13 weeks? Brad, how many weeks of boot camp did you have? 
You don't even remember you're that old? Simper Fi, baby, Simper Fi. So she goes, uh, she goes, 13 weeks of boot camp, piece of cake, not a problem. I've watched it on TV. Um, so uh, anyway, if you'd like to stay with us, we'll just, we'll just gather around her. And look, if, if you can't, if you don't want to, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad person, but we do want to pray for her. And, and so we'll do that after the service today. Um, and uh, I already said communion, and then we prayed for our students, so that's all. I want to jump into our text today. Um, we know a lot about King David. Uh, even if you didn't grow up in the church, when you look at the flag of Israel, you see that star. They call it the Star of David. Uh, but in the church, we talk a lot about David. I mean, and, and at Carpenter's Way, as we've looked at the scriptures and what we do here is go verse by verse, we not only talk about David's successes, which are always, usually seem to be what most of the time we emphasize, but we also talk about his struggles, his failures. Um, but recorded for us in Acts... It tells us that God referred to David when he replaced King Saul with King David, when he anointed him to be the next king. He actually told the, the, uh, the prophet that this was a man after his own heart. Now, you've heard that phrase, David was a man after his own heart. There's certain things we know about him. One was, I remember growing up in a King James-only church, and it was ruddy. I, I didn't realize what that meant. I looked it up uh, in Bible school. It means red-haired, but, and, and, but I remember hearing that. The other thing was a man after his own heart, and I remember always going, oh, that's so nice, a man after God's heart. And I thought that's what, that it meant that God loved this guy special. That's actually not what it means. He says that David actually sought him more than, more than anybody else, that David, the adulterer, bad dad, murderer guy, actually had a passionate heart for God, a heart that longed for God. And, and uh, I, 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 as I was thinking about this message this, this week, I was, I was kind of going through again, okay, what's that mean? And, and how did he get that amazing compliment? What does it take to become a man after God's heart? And I, I, so I started reviewing the Psalms and some of the things, and, and as you know, the Psalms are, are uh, poetry, much of David. And as you read through it, you kind of hear his heart. And David, despite being imperfect and doubting God a lot, always came back in the Psalms to trusting the Lord. In fact, in uh, over a, a, about a dozen times, David refers to God as his rock, his fortress, and his refuge. So one of the things that uh, over the, the last few years, as, as I've buried a lot of people, we've, we've buried some people that were deeply committed to the Lord. And I've had the opportunity to talk about what made them different. And, and there's some similarities between David and these people that I've had the privilege of celebrating their life, and that is that they made God their shepherd. They might have been an uncle or a dad or a mom, but David was a king. David was a prophet. David had a lot of responsibility, but the one thing that was constant in his life wasn't him being a good husband, wasn't him being a good lover, wasn't him being a good dad, because he failed in all those areas. But one thing seems to be consistent through his life, from when he was a little boy as a shepherd boy, all the way up through adulthood, and that is that David leaned into God and he trusted him even when he blew it. After he committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband, he said, I have sinned against God and God alone. And, and, and we all kind of know that that's not totally true. I mean, I imagine that Uriah's dad wouldn't have agreed with that or even Bathsheba, whose husband's dead. But to David, he was so grieved by sinning against the Lord, that's what got to him. And how did David get there? I think the clue is in Psalm 119, 105. 
It's coming. There it is. David said, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. As you know, uh, we've been out, uh, in, mostly out the last month. Uh, we got COVID, and, but we were gone for a couple weeks on vacation. And the week before that was our graduation Sunday, and we were sitting in the back there. But one of the things that's interesting to me as we're on vacation is we've watched as our family has started to spread out for the summer and go on vacation. People will go somewhere, and when they're on vacation, they'll get on Facebook, and they'll write something like, I'm in, you know, I don't know, Rio Doso, New Mexico. Has anybody ever had a good steak here? And all of a sudden, people within 15 minutes will tell them. Somebody wrote on, on Facebook the other day, and, and Marshall, this is going to be a, a big slap on the back for you. Do you know of a good electrician? And like 12 people wrote, Marshall Lindley, Marshall Lindley, Marshall Lindley. It's like, okay, stop. So I wrote it too, because I, I don't know, I don't know. I just thought we were supposed to keep writing that and it would be annoying. But, but the internet, how Facebook has played out, no matter what you think of Facebook, is it's kind of become a light for our path in many ways. You know? Hey, where should I go on vacation? What's a good cruise line to go on? Where should we eat dinner? Hey, my kid's throwing up. Does anybody know if that's normal? I mean, you just, it just seems like that's where we go for a light in our path. That, that is a, a natural place. I mean, if you want a burger place, you can get like 32 different places in a moment. Or maybe for some of us, it's a, it's a good book on how to overcome depression. Or TV shows or YouTube. Um, one of the things that's always amazed me about my son and my kids are such a blessing to me, as you know. And I love my kids. And I really love my grandkids, but my kids will always be my kids, to be truthful. Those are my kids. And while they take care of their kids, I'm going to take care of my kids. That's just how it works in my heart. But one of the things that I was so impressed with about Zach, and I see it in Anna as well, is Zach learned to do magic, which paid for a lot of college, by watching YouTube. That became somewhat of a light to him. I mean, it was a fundraising thing. He, he obsessed over YouTube and how to do magic and how to do sleight of hand. And he would go to his room for 30 seconds at a time and then he'd come out and go, Dad, I learned it. And he'd say, oh, no, you didn't. You dropped the card, son. But he learned it. And Anna, I mean, Anna would grab old UIL. And you, you all know that as much as Zach loved magic, Annie loves, I don't even know what to call it, accounting stuff. She loves that. Not taxes, but she loves that stuff. As a teenager, she would lay in her bed. She would get old UIL state competition tests, and she would lay in her bed for hours at a time and just do those, cuckoo, cuckoo. But that's our Annie. And she loves it. We'll find out in the next 10 years as she's moving to Dallas next month, a month from now, and starting with Deloitte. But we're going to find out how much she loves it. But that's what she's made, and she's self-taught. And, and for that, it became a light. And you know, every one of us have a light for our path. Every one of us. We don't think about it, but we go to it. I would argue that the danger, and, and it's even scary, and I think right now it's become really scary, is even for our knowledge of God, a lot of us go to authors. We, we don't go to God ourselves or the Word of God it's kind of daunting a task. The Word of God is not a lamp to our feet and a, and a light to our path. It's actually people who tell us about God. And the problem with that is you're dependent upon those people for truth. And when they fall, and I, I'm going to keep mentioning it, why? Because I think it's only fair. If we're going to be a part of the SBC, and 
Our only participation with the SBC, and you'll hear more about this in the coming months, is that we support their mission, their international mission program. That's where our money goes. Um, it doesn't go to the state's work. It goes internationally. And unless you guys individually ask us to give and you give to the church, but that's a different discussion. So as we talk about that, we've got to talk about the things that we haven't done well. And as we have taken our eyes off of God's word, we have begun to protect the organization because the organization has become bigger than God's word, and so we don't confront sin in our midst. You see, the word of God is the lamp. It's the light. Not people who tell us about God's word, not Pastor Mark, not your favorite preacher, not Rick Warren, not Beth Moore, although, although, although I want to be accurate with God's word. The truth is that you as an individual are the adopted child of God. You have been redeemed by God. The second member of the Trinity came down by the plan of the first member of the Trinity to buy your adoption. And then when you were adopted into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and inhabits you and seals you unto salvation. You are his, you are not ours. We worship together not so that we can have a moral statement to the world, but because we need to encourage each other here so that we can go out and serve him. Because it is hard out there. The world shouldn't be shocking. If you've ever read the Bible, the lamp unto your feet and the light unto David's path, if you've ever read the Bible, the world today should not shock you. I just can't believe America is. That's because you didn't take the Bible seriously. It actually told us where it was going to go. That's why we're going to redo Romans again in a few months. I'm thinking about, so what are we going to do in the next few months? When we're done with 2 Peter, I think I want to do like five weeks on the Lord's Prayer. Take that one prayer and pull it apart and talk about it because it's very powerful and we pray it without thinking a lot. And then we're going to jump in in the fall to Romans. And why? Because I want to talk about depravity of the church, how we relate to each other, what is salvation, how did we get saved? And it really does that. So we're going to go back through Romans. Why? Because we need to be driven back to God and away from Carpenter's Way and the Southern Baptist Convention and the evangelical movement. We need to walk with God. And if you walk with God and I walk with God, and if God's word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, and God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, guess what? We are all going to be following Jesus, not each other. That, that makes sense? And while I want you to trust us, I mean, I was thinking this morning as we were singing, Chad actually wrestles through this music. He doesn't just pick seven songs, hey, let's sing five. He, he, he really thinks through them. And they have a problem right now. As uh, Adam, you know, and, and uh, is leading our student worship, you know, and his team, and Chad, they've made some tough decisions recently about what kinds of production, what kinds of groups they're not going to sing their songs. Uh, if this organization has false doctrine at the core of itself, they move away from it. And that's hard because they're running out of music. But I love the songs he writes because they're built not for music, but for truth that fits music well. Why? Because to Chad and to Adam, God's word is a lamp and a light. Not Hillsong or whatever, not Maranatha music for those of us who grew up in the 70s but God's Word. And that's what made David a man after God's heart. God's Word. So, here we go. So we're in 2 Peter. I've told you since the beginning, 
First Peter, we looked through that. First Peter was a letter of encouragement to Christians that were beginning to get concerned because persecution was coming and they were afraid. And so Peter writes to them to say, stay the course and don't put your hope in, pers- in, in a good life, in a safe life. Honor the king, but you put your hope in eternal. What's coming? The second letter that we're studying right now was written about three years later. And Peter is writing this, and I call it his swan song, and you're going to see in this morning's text why I call it his swan song. But Peter is a father, a shepherd, an under-shepherd of, of these people that he loves, and he realizes his time is short with them. And so he writes this letter to let them know what they can count on when he's no longer with them, which is pretty cool to preach on a Father's Day. Because I do think that as a 56-year-old man or 55-year-old man, I do think as a 35-year-old dad, I think as a 25-year-old dad, you need to be thinking about what you want your kids to believe when you're gone. What do you want them to hold on to? It's more important than, do they like me? Does the world think my parenting is good? And what does Oprah think parenting should look like? Who cares? What I care about is what God wants me to pass on to my children, because those are my disciples. So, when he wrote, so he wrote this letter in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is what we've been looking at. Zach taught us, took us back there. I was preaching it before I left on vacation and got deathly ill. I, I didn't. It was like a bad cold. But here we go. I want you to feel bad for me. Send cards. Okay. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to pick it up there because context matters. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Wow. We, we, just, we just can't. I can't not stop there. For those of you who think you can't live a godly life, Peter says, you're wrong, you have everything you need. Well, I can't stop drinking. Then sew your lips shut. Become accountable. I can't stop looking at porn. Blow your computer up in the backyard or hit it with a sledgehammer. Oh, I don't want to do that. The truth is, we have everything we need to be a good parent. I'm tired, I know. So is Jesus. But you can still do it. Trust him. We have, by his divine power, not by preaching, not by a good book on parenting, but by his divine power, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him. So we got it at salvation. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Verse 4, and because of his glory and excellence, okay, because of that, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escapes the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of that, okay, so just take a moment, because of all that, what? Because of everything we've been given, everything we need to live faithful, godly lives, because of the promises God will fulfill. If you and I have accepted his offer to forgive our sins and we go to hell, then God's a liar and he's not worthy. The truth is, he made promises, he's going to keep those promises. In view of all those promises, in view of the Holy Spirit within us that helps us live godly lives. Now, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Oh, so there's something I need to do now that I'm saved. That's what Zach taught us about sanctification. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Be moral. Church, it is not okay for you. I mean, this is so stupid. You ready? It is not okay for you to leave your wife and marry somebody else or move in with somebody else. It's not okay. But I feel good. Okay, then that's what the world does. It's not okay, ladies, for you to badmouth your husband because he's an idiot to all your women friends. It's not okay. It's not okay. Moral excellence. And you know what it is? 
Godly marriage is not between a man and a woman. It's between a godly man and a godly woman. It's not between people of genders. And it seems like in all of this that's going on in our culture, we've forgotten that. It's about godliness. So, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Be moral. And moral excellence, add knowledge. Study God's Word. Add knowledge. Grow in knowledge. And knowledge, add to knowledge with self-control. Okay, I got to pause. I'm going to take a shot at uh, Thomas Jefferson. Okay, here we go. Just spent... uh, a lot of time up near Monticello and read a lot about Thomas Jefferson and incredible mind, an incredible scientist, but he was a lousy man at following through on what he, he wanted to do. For those of you who are conservative and thought that it was unfair for Congress to require us to have certain kinds of health care that in the law they wrote themselves out of, you know what I'm talking about? Thomas Jefferson wanted to make a law when he was governor of Virginia, that slavery was illegal, and he wrote himself out of it. When he died, which would have been a natural time, George Washington, upon his death, sets his slaves free. When he died, he only set five of his slaves free, and they were all his kids. One of the leaders of France, who he became friends with because he spent a lot of time over in France, actually came back to the States and said, you wrote a document that says all men are created equal, so why do you own 350 of these people because of the color of their skin? He offered him, Thomas Jefferson, who was $20,000 in debt, $2 million in our day's money, they offered him $20,000 to make him debt-free if they would sell their, his slaves to them and they would take him back to France, which was a non-slavery country at the time, and set them free, and he said no. That's not okay. That's hypocrisy. And there's a lot of people in the evangelical church doing that today. Don't do what I do, do what I say. Listen to me teach, but don't follow through. How do I know that? Because there's 450 names on a list of the Southern Baptist Executive Committee has of pastors who've committed adultery with underage people when they were youth pastors 20 years ago, and not one thing was done about it. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to follow through. As we grow in knowledge, we need to also grow in self-control. If you have same-sex attraction and you know that's a sin, don't act on it. If you like pornography and you're a child of God, destroy your computer. Don't look at it. If alcohol is a problem for you, stop drinking. You know, before we start attacking the world for what they're doing, maybe we should look inside and say, I'm going to be that guy. And you know, I, I talk a lot, a lot about how salvation is an act of God and transformation is an act of the Holy Spirit. That's true. But clearly in here he's going, as God is transforming you, you need to act like you're God's. And I think as that pendulum has swung, even in some of my teaching, I forgot to say, knock it off. But it makes me happy. So will weed, but you shouldn't be smoking it. Speaking of marijuana... It's still illegal, and if you're doing it because you don't think it should be illegal, you're breaking the law, and that's wrong. That's not moral. Well, I think the government's wrong. I think the government's wrong about the speed limit. But I shouldn't drive 110 on the loop. I I mean, the truth is, at some point, we have to decide who's leading us. Who is a lamp? Who is a guide? Is it my feelings, or is it God? And if it's God... I need to act, add to what God is doing in my life. Moral excellence. Does this make logical sense? Would you not all agree that the problem in our country is we say one thing and do another? And it's become kind of silly. 
I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm already waxed political, but I'm, I could keep going. But it's depravity, and we'll talk about that at a different time. So self-control, add to self-control, he goes on with patient endurance. Wow, does that, that's a perfect marriage of those things. Because as I have self-control, it's like, I don't want self-control. All right, you know, Biden fell off his bike yesterday, and some of you went, he didn't fall hard enough. Uh, you laughed. The, the, the truth is, it's like, come on, God, you're taking too long. And God says, trust me, I got this. Well, I don't like your long plan. I want the short plan. No, that's not how this works. And, and that's what we talked about last week. You go back to the, go back to the wandering in the wilderness. A five-day walk turned into months and then year walk. Forty years worth of walking. Why? Because that was God's plan. I don't like God's plan. Just so you know, even Jesus didn't like the Trinity's plan hour before his arrest. Okay? Even Jesus asked the God's plan would be changed. If there's any other way to take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. That's the prayer of God's child. I don't like it, but I trust you. I trust you. So patient endurance. And with patient endurance, godliness, live like Jesus. And godliness, brotherly affection, love each other. And, and, and then it's like he goes off. And with brotherly affection, with love for everybody. Heck, while you're loving each other, just love the lost too. I love that. Why? Verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that is such a dumb sentence because we all know that. The problem is inside for a lot of us, we go, yeah, well, I'll leave that to the pastor or the missionary. I don't, you know, I don't really want to be super effective for the king. I just want to be saved and not go to hell. And that's what's wrong with the church today. Because we were not saved just to be kept out of hell. We were saved, get there in a moment, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. If you don't grow like this, Peter is saying, you either don't understand your calling or you're simply not saved. So dear brothers and sisters, verse 10, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we've studied this section already, and I know some of you are like, well, um, okay, let's get to the new stuff. We'll get there in a second. It's not complicated this morning. It's just convicting. <laughs> but before we do, in honor of Adam who mocked me a few weeks ago, I want to put Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 up here. Because we can never remember this enough. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Right? We all agree with that? And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Right? Yeah. Okay, keep going. Salvation is an reward for good things we've done. So none of us can be cocky and boast about it. Well, I'm saved because I am. No, it's God's work. Verse 10. We are God's work with masterpiece. God's work with shit. So that's actually the end of the first two verses' thoughts. It's all God's work that makes me his child. It's all what God is doing. He's transforming me. He saved me by his grace. No good works I did. I am his masterpiece. And now he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's the point that I think the church misses. That now that you're saved, you are, you are saved and left here to perform for God. Not so that you're saved, but because you're saved. 
He has left us here as small temples in a dark world, temples of the presence of his Holy Spirit, so the world has a place to run when they get tired of themselves, and they all get tired of themselves. That's why Robin Williams hung himself. Okay? I mean, I'm sorry. I know Robin Williams. We all love Robin Williams. He's probably one of the funniest guys ever, and for the most part, he was clean, and the truth is, I love Robin Williams, but none of us knew that underneath there was a very depressed, dark person. Uh, I refer you to Chris Farley, who did the same thing there. There's a reason why our, our musicians and our stars keep killing themselves with drugs, alcohol, and eventually hangman's nooses. Why? Because they're not happy. Well, they have so much money. We all know in our heads money isn't the solution. The, the solution to an unhappy soul is to meet your creator who begins to transform you into the image of Christ. So that when life is difficult, you can remember that YOLO's a lie. You don't only live once. As his child, you live twice, and that's where my hope is. So why am I still here? Why doesn't God take me to heaven? Because I got things to do. And what, is your, what are you supposed to do? Raise your kids. Love your neighbors. Honor those that rule over us. Pray for our country. Pray for our president. Pray for the Congress. Be involved in serving. Go on short-term mission trips for small pictures of what God can do in you and through you. Serve your boss that you don't like. Be a godly boss. Participate in giving uh, so that those who are called to vocational work for the kingdom can continue to do it. That's what we do here. You're not in East Texas because your parents have been here or your grandparents. You're here because this is your mission field. That's why I'm here. This is my mission field. What's weird is if things progress like they usually do in your world, and this is the southern world, I'm going to now leave my son, my daughter-in-law, my two grandkids here, and they, there could be a Wilkie Cemetery here someday. I know there's a Wilkie Cemetery in Texas, but here's what's crazy. My dad, my Karen lives here, Julie and I live here, Annie's going to go to Dallas because she's one of those and maybe come back and run the city. She might be mayor one day. Look out, Mark. I mean, who knows? But you're stuck with the Wilkies. Our clan is growing. I never imagined they would be here. But I'm leaving family and I'm going to have to convince little Sam who calls me Papa and little Micah who doesn't do anything but sleep, eat, and poop right now. So boring. That kid is so boring. I mean, seriously, this, this is what he does. But... I'm going to leave them here, and somebody, I, I, before I do, I have to convince them that they are not here by accident. They are here as missionaries in East Texas. Otherwise, we just kind of, Christianity becomes a part of what I'm doing. Oh, I'm the mission field. No, you're not anymore. Once you're saved, you are the missionary. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. Okay, here we go. We're ready to pick up the text for this week. Ready? 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. So Peter is now getting personal. Uh, and, and what is it that he wants to remind them? That they've been saved by God and he's done his, doing his work in them, but now they need to add to his work moral excellence, patience, all those things that we just slowly walked through. That's the context of this. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. Oh. Now you know why he's writing a second letter. Remember I kept saying it was his swan song? That's why. 
I'm about to die. The Lord has told me I'm leaving you. And I don't care how much you depend on God. As a shepherd, you love your flock. Gosh, I, you guys don't have any idea how much I love you. You don't have any idea how much I enjoy getting away from you sometimes, like on vacation. But when I came back, I was ready to be here again. I was ready to hear Zach preach, and then I got COVID, and God kept me at home. I mean, the, the fact is, you really love your flock. If you're a pastor and you don't love your flock, do everybody a favor and resign and find another one. This is the most wonderful place. I have always loved ministry, but I haven't always loved my mission field, and I love East Texas. It's a little hot, but we got air conditioning. It's, it's, it's just such a wonderful place, and you're wonderful. I love it when your kids say, yes, sir, and then badmouth me as I walk through the door. I love how you care for family. I love the qualities of this culture. I love the stories of your grandparents. I, I, and I say this to just about everybody. Your grandparents were amazing to put up with this heat and still live here without air conditioning. Seriously. And I know the answer. And I say this to older people in our church, and they always say, well, it wasn't that hot. It was. You just have bad memories. It's always been this hot. You know, except it snowed on the way to school. It's always been this hot. But they put up with it, and they built houses that had these breezeways. But I got news for you. You know, I, I don't mind. I like sitting in my backyard for about 12 minutes. Then I want to go back in the air conditioning. Hot wind is still hot. But it's incredible. This is our field. This is where we've been called. This is such a wonderful place. And he loves these people. He knows them. They know him. And he's about to leave them. And he's kind of worried. He's worried. So he wrote this letter to them. Our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must see, soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things before I'm gone. I like that. Second Peter is a letter of burden from Peter to his flock. And, and if you look back again at verses 12 to 15, he says, I will always remind you about these things even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you've been taught. It's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I've gone. In other words, I know you're doing them. I know you're faithful. I know you love the Lord. But I'm worried about this. I have a big part of influencing and keeping you focused, but I'm... I'm I want to remind you, and, and, and let me just remind you that that is the role of church leadership. The role of church leadership is clearly laid out in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 15. Look at this with me on the screen. These are the gifts that Christ gave the church. There's apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every new wind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Wow. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. So in other words, the purpose of the church is to gather the flock so that we can minister to each other and we can grow up together, not just in deed, but in word and understanding as well. And so it is right for Peter to be worried about them. It's right for him to be concerned. 
And, and I want to take you back and tell you, I, 1 Peter 1, 12 to 21, I want to take you back. And what I'm doing is context. I'm trying to drill some things in. Because he's going to tell us how you, how you as an individual child of God, how you as an individual um, uh, spirit-filled person can feed yourself, can protect yourself, can protect your sons, your daughters, your wives, your husbands. How do you do that? He explains it right here. In 2 Peter 1, verse 12, again, Therefore I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. So you've been taught this truth. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as you live, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, so I work hard to make sure you always remember these things even after I'm gone. Verse 16, we were, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when, when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So not only at his baptism, but Peter saw this and heard this when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because of that experience, verse 19 says, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. So in other words, you have the teaching that we taught you as apostles, things that we saw, that we experienced, that we've transferred to you, but also it helps us have confidence in the prophets that we studied as children. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. There it is again. In other words, you need a lamp, you want a light, God's Word written in the prophets. And remember, the New Testament wasn't finished at this point. Much of what we have today of the New Testament, the writing of the epistles, those things were being taught, these letters were being sent, and they were being duplicated by scribes and passed around. But he's saying, you should stick with the teaching of the prophets. We're here to tell you that what they taught was true because we watched it with Jesus. And then we told you about the things that we saw. Because of that experience, we have greater confidence. Again, verse 19, in the message proclaimed by the prophets, you must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a sh lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture even, even came or ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now look, if you were reading this letter, this is the part where you'd go, eyes roll back into your head because it's talking about prophets. and it's, it's, like, it's like not the important part. And I would like to say, this is the most important part. Because what Peter is saying is, how do you stand firm in truth? How do you handle the world out there? Not by making sure that the government respects Jesus Christ. The guy who wrote In God We Trust all over Washington, D.C. and is on every dollar bill and coin you have didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. The government has never protected you as a theological group. This government was led by deists, people who emphatically at the end of their life, Benjamin Franklin, six months before he dies, writes a letter to make it clear, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. My apologies to focus on the family. But the truth is, even George Washington walked away from the church when the pastor confronted him for not participating in body life. You see, it isn't government leadership, the United States of America, the Christian nation, the city on the hill that is your foundation of truth. It is God's Word. 
It is not Hillsong music. It's not Bethel's music. It's not your favorite preacher. It is God's Word. The Old Testament written by the prophets. The New Testament written by the epistles, the apostles. The New Testament written to you by people. Look, the Bible... I just want to change how we look at the Bible, so bear with me. The Bible is not one book. It is 66 books. It's a volume. It's a library of 66 books written by at least 44 people over a period of 1,400 years that tell us about Yahweh. Every book, that's all it does. It tells us about God and people's reaction to God. The things we struggle with, it starts with why we got it screwed up. That's what Genesis is about. And God fixing it, Revelation. It's all the story is about. In the middle, Jesus pays the price for sin so that you and I can still be saved despite being sinners. And then once we're saved, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit comes in and our job now is to carry on the message of the gospel that the apostles have left us into our community world, inviting people into the kingdom. That's why Jesus said, seek first my kingdom. The kingdom of Israel, America, all these other things may be important, but they're not as important as my kingdom. So you seek first my kingdom, and everything else comes next. I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. And that's where we are even to this day. That wasn't just the apostles. That's us. And and he wants his believers, his followers, to know that while he has protected them, the truth is the lamp of truth is God's Word. The Old Testament and the New. And you've got to know it. When Peter wrote this, I've already said four times, I've read it, I'm killing the text, that he was writing as a swan song to tell them, stick with God's Word, the prophets and, and what we have taught. You know that. But I want you to know that he's worried that among them is going to rise up false teachers. And he wasn't the only one at this period. In fact, if you remember back to our study of Acts, Paul meets with the Ephesian elders of the Ephesian church, the elders of the Ephesian church. He is going back to Rome, and they beg him to meet with them. And when they meet together, they beg him not to go. You're going to get killed, Paul. And he said, very well, I probably will. But God has told me to go there. And he warns them then. He says, among you, even some of you are going to rise up and you are going to be wolves in the flock. You are going to teach false doctrine. Hold each other accountable. The fact is that you can't trust the evangelical church's leadership right now. You've got to know God's word. This is the only thing that doesn't fail you. Well, nobody can understand it. It's too confusing. That's bunk by people who've never read it. Bunk is a Greek word. It comes from the Greek root, bunkoi. It means poo-poo. The evangelical church is lazy. And I'm not dogging you. I know how busy your life is. But there's no excuse for those of us who are 50 years old who grew up in the church not to know God's Word. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for us to like memes online when we're pro-gun, and I am pro-gun, that say if they would have taken the rocks from David, he would have never beat Goliath. Have you ever read the story? David himself said, you come at me with a shield and a spear, and I come at you in the name of the living God. David said to Saul, the king, I'm not afraid of this guy. Why are you afraid of this guy? He blasphemes us. 
He blasphemes our God. There's no way God could let him win. And he ran at him. And by the way, it wasn't the stone that killed Goliath. It was a stone that knocked him silly. It was the sword that David picks up and cuts his head off. Then he sticks the guy's head. (laughs) Sound effects are awesome. Puts it on his spear, Goliath's spear. And he walks around for seven days with a bloody head with flies all over it. Oh, David was violent. He was a warrior. I thought he was ruddy and pretty and played a harp. This guy was a warrior. We've killed this book. Men and women, this isn't about David. David was a mess. It's about David's God. And whether you're Baptist or Assemblies of God, whether you are Pentecostal or you love Bethel music or hate Bethel music, if you depend on your favorite author or your favorite pastor to keep you on the, on the mark, you are in danger. I am thankful for the season the church is in right now because it's time for this house of cards to fall. I'm talking about the SBC here. Boy, were we... Can you imagine... You know when the Catholic Church had all the priest things going on? The Southern Baptist Convention stood back in her arrogance knowing that it was going on in our churches as well, and there's no excuse for that. We are the humble people of God. And we're not here to protect an organization. We are here to follow God even if we're the only ones. We follow Jesus. So are you saying we should let it all fall? I'm saying seek first the kingdom of God. Well, how do I do that? Know what the prophets wrote. Know what the apostles uh, verified. Wrestle with the scriptures. If I say something you don't like, open your Bible and come into my office and we'll wrestle. Well, you know the Bible better than me, so learn it better and put me in my place. Don't be lazy. Know God's Word. Know His Word. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Paul's writing this to Timothy, but it could be any person in this room. I just think this is such a practical verse. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our life. Oh, so it's still working. I've got to spend time in God's Word so I can be corrected when I'm wrong, and it teaches me to do what's right. God uses His Word to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. I'm reading it out of the King James because that's how I memorized it. There's a lot of pastors who embarrass themselves every time they mount the pulpit. Why? Because they don't know God's Word. How do I know that? Because I listen to them teach. They have no idea why Jesus wanted to be alone on the mountain. We talked about this Wednesday night when he went to feed the 5,000. He wasn't going to feed the 5,000. He was going to be alone with his father because his cousin died. Gets up top of the mountain, there's a group of people there. He feeds them. He ministers to them. He spends all day healing them. Then he's tired. He sends the disciples into the boat in the middle of the water and he goes, he goes on up to the top of the mountain to be alone. And the disciple, There's a story being told about the power of God. And at the end of this, in the middle of the night, when Jesus shows his power on the sea, the disciples, you want to know what they were thinking? Who is this man? 
you really are the Son of God. To which Jesus said in all of his wisdom and divinity, duh, I told you that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I know you did, but I didn't think you could walk on water. I mean, that's, that's a whole different level. I mean, feeding 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and fish is one thing, but walking on water? Are you kidding me? To which Jesus repeated himself, duh, I made the water. I just want to be clear that God isn't looking at Washington, D.C. and going, oh, they screwed up my country. This was supposed to be the city on the hill. What happened? And he didn't do it when the Hebrew people got into the promised land and one generation later didn't even remember who Yahweh was. God didn't go, oy vey, these people are so stupid. The Trinity looked at each other and said, just as we planned, now we're going to fix it. How are we going to do that? We're going to send the second member of the Trinity to the cross. Because they can't work their way to us. There's only one way for them to be saved. We're going to do everything for them, and all they've got to do is accept it. You see, that's the truth that we need to be screaming even to the people that you hate, the people you're prejudiced against, the people that, that have a different lifestyle. This is such a tough month with Pride Month, and it's in our faces, and everybody's saying it. But do you realize that without Jesus, every one of those rainbow people go to hell? Every one of them. Do we even care? Yes, but, but we've got to say something. Why? Why must we say something? Because they need to know where we stand. They know where we stand. The problem is we talk too much. How about having lunch with them? Well, what will people think? That you're a friend of sinners. I don't want to be a friend of sinners. Then you're the Pharisee. You see, the truth is, this is a messy world we live in, and it's a messy life, but God's Word tells us that God has protected us and put us in the world, and we have everything we need, and given us each other to wash each other's feet. So when I screw up, Kevin Hudson, and I use him all the time, can pick on me, or Kip, Kip Havard, or we can hold each other accountable, we can say, it's okay. And that's what I want to say to you this morning. That's, that's what I want to say to you as we go into communion. Some of you have, I know that you feel so unworthy, and I know you're just glad you're going to heaven, and you just feel so stuck in your sin that you just, you just can't even be where I'm talking about this morning. The thought of reading the Bible is daunting to you. You, you just come here to, to listen to the music and to participate and be reminded that God has saved your rear end. And while that's true, I want you to know that everybody has a starting over point, and for me, it's every 12 minutes. Satan wants you to believe that you're too far gone, too screwed up, too damaged, too bad a testimony, you're too immoral, and I'm here to tell you that if you are God's child, this scripture just told you that you have everything you need. Well, I've blown it. The church, if they knew who I was, it doesn't matter what the church thinks. What matters is what Jesus thinks, and he sent his son to, to forgive all your sin. And if you have confessed your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, including tomorrow. And there's only one thing keeping you from living out your task, and that is your pride. The only difference between Peter and Judas, I actually think you could make the case that Peter outsinned Judas in the last hours of his life. He denied and blasphemed the name of God. I swear to God, I don't know Jesus. Go read it. But the difference between Peter and Judas is Peter went back to Jesus. Judas killed himself because in the end he was a coward and proud. 
And instead of humbling himself and saying, I am so sorry. I thought I was doing right, but I wasn't. And accepting the forgiveness of God, he lived out the last few moments of his life until he goes and hangs himself. Why? Because hanging himself made sense and repenting did not. So here's my plea to you. Knock it off. Repent. Thank him for his grace. And join me in this crazy, weird, frustrating, wonderful life. I don't want a big church. I want a faithful church. And I, I really mean that. I mean, yeah, I want enough money where we can pay bills, right? I mean, I don't want to get too skinny. You won't see me up here. I'll, turn, I'll look like a zipper with my tongue out. I mean, I don't want to do that. But the truth is, I just want a church that actually loves the sinner and the lost and is more passionate for their neighbor than they are their country, whose desire it is to seek the kingdom of God above all else and is willing to entrust our feelings to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because the truth is I struggle with it too, you guys. I make the jokes about Washington because I find it incredibly frustrating right now. And I'm avoiding talking about guns because I want to go after it like crazy. It's depravity, the way people are acting. But there's something more important right now than me making a statement about the Second Amendment, and that is telling people that hate the Second Amendment that there is a relationship with God available through Jesus Christ. It's more important. A hundred years from now, I won't need a gun. Yes, but you're going to need one between now and then, not if God wants me dead. You know, we're about to take communion. Do you remember, uh, I think it was like two years ago, but my clock is all messed up because of COVID. Do you remember two or three years ago that there was an African-American church that had a Bible study, and there was a dude who was going in that they included in their Bible study. You guys, some of you are nodding. A white kid, and he went in and they ministered to him. And he left one time and he came back and he shot them all up. Do you remember that? Did you hear the pastor, the people talking about that? We're here to do this. I thought to myself, our church, we'd have bullets flying in every direction. And I laughed. And it would. I'm really scared. I'm not scared of being shot in the pulpit. I'm scared of you shooting me in the pulpit. I just... (laughs) But I just thought to myself, better to die for serving God than to live defending myself all the time. And I'm not saying you shouldn't defend yourself. I'm just saying there's a thought thing going on in my heart right now. And, and God is changing the way I look at the lost. All that will matter in 100 years from now is do they know Jesus? And they're not going to learn Jesus from the Baptist faith and message or Assemblies of God rallies or Hillsong music. They're going to learn about Jesus because I love them in my neighborhood. Because in East Texas, I respect people and I share hope with them. That's what's going to make the difference. And so as we take communion this morning, we've been talking about this a lot. And I ask you, and we take the bread first, I ask you, if you are willing to pay the same price Jesus did with your life, he could have, Zach said this, he could have floated down, died on the cross, and gone right back up. But he didn't. He lived 33 years. Frustration as a teenager, parents misunderstanding him, his brothers mocked him, he was eventually killed. Are we willing to be misunderstood and mocked for the work of the kingdom? 
That's what this bread is about. Jesus broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Understand, I was willing to put up with all this for you. And, as, and we were instructed to live like Jesus lived. And as we take it this morning, the question is, are you willing first and foremost to seek the kingdom of God above all else? And that means if you're living in a sinful state, you're going to walk away from it. And there are things right now in my heart, you guys, that God is telling me, you first, son, to which I'm going, I'm preaching right now. Could you please leave me alone? I mean, I'm not up here going, you, I'm not. I promise you know me better than that. I'm going, come on, Mark. Live this thing Monday through Saturday. I want to go with you in this. I want to. I want to surrender. <laughs> just another reason I'm glad I'm not Catholic because right there I just... If I were Catholic, I would be in danger of going to hell because if you drop his body, it's bad. So, look, you know where I'm going with this. Right now as I take this, you're looking at your pastor going, I know God, I hear your voice. I have not been as faithful as I need to be. And right now, I'm recommitting myself to live like Jesus. If you want to join me in that, if you want to join Jesus in that, take. If you don't, that's okay. But only take if you're serious because we're making this commitment to him. truth is, we fall short, which is why this part is so cool. You're going to fall short, but the good news is we have already confessed our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We stand before him holy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So as you and I decide to seek first his kingdom, we have to remember it's all made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. Let's take in remembrance of him. And now, Lord Jesus, we go forth, surrendered to you. And I pray this wonderful Father's Day that we'd have a blast. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would hear your voice calling us to holiness, surrender, and may we, Father, be temples of God's presence and messengers of His grace. May we be more committed to the kingdom of God than we are ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Maddie, will you come up here? We're going to pray for Maddie together, okay? I know we don't do this all the time, every kid going to college, but this family has asked us to do this, so we're going to take a moment. Mark, would you come up here, Dubos? Because we don't have a lot of... And Jeff, can you leave the mic? Will you come up here too? And... Uh, Let's just lay hands on, on Maddie and pray for her. She's going, it's, you picked an easy route, 13 weeks of marine boot camp. It's a piece of cake. Like I said, I've watched it on TV, so. Yeah. <laughs> but we have a bigger concern for you. And that is that as temptation comes, what, however well or difficult it is for you in the Marines, seek first God's kingdom. And there's a lot of people there that need Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you are his temple. And that's a tough place in the military. And whatever this government asks of you, whether it's war or peace, that in all of that you will represent him very, very well. So Mark uh, and Jeff, Jeff, you were her youth pastor for many years, right? You guys, both of you? A couple of years. So I'm going to ask you, Jeff, why don't you come on this side and don't be afraid to touch the Marine's shoulder. She's not a Marine yet. <laughs> and I'm going to ask both of you to pray for her. Let's pray. Mark, you first, and then John. Lord, we just thank you for, for Maddie. We just pray that you will uh, just watch over her and strengthen her, Lord, as she uh, goes on this journey. And 
Lord, may she be fully aware that you're, you're wherever she is, is you're there too. And, and we just pray that she'll find strength from that. And, and Lord, we, uh, we pray for her family, that you would strengthen them and, uh, Lord, comfort them as they, as they worry about her and as they long to see her. And, and uh, Lord, we, we just want you to be in the middle of this and, and that everybody knows that, that you're there and that you're with her. Lord, may she be a light to those that she uh, comes, in contact, comes in contact with. And, and Lord, I, I, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to be here in Nomadian and as a church family. We've seen her grow up, and we just pray that you'll just watch over and protect her. Thank you, Lord, for, for Maddie and, and her walk. God, we come to you this morning, and we just want to say thank you for your goodness and your mercy that you show all of us. God, I'm grateful for the opportunity that uh, you've given me to watch Maddie grow to the young woman she is. And God, I'm excited to see what you have in store for her in the future. But God, I'm also grateful this morning for your text that you told Maddie everything she needed to remember as she leaves. And she has everything that she needs already inside of her because she's your kid. And God, I pray in those moments uh, in the coming weeks uh, where she's going to be frustrated, where she's going to be scared, God, I pray that you remind her that you're right there with her. I pray that she would lean into you. I pray you would draw her closer to yourself than she's ever been before. And God, we do pray that uh, you'd protect her physically, but God, I pray that you'd protect her spiritually. God, you would just remind her that no matter where she's at, what she's going through, that you're right there with her. We pray for her family, God. I know that they're, uh, they're excited, but God, there's also concern. And I pray that you would just be their peace. And God, you would just remind them that you have her in your hands. God, you have a plan for her life. And God, we're excited, and we just lift her up to you now. I just pray you would use her, God, to make a difference in the lives of those other recruits that she's going to be around and even those who will be leading her and teach her. So God, I just pray that uh, you would go with her now and just use her in incredible ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Have a wonderful day.